0: Welcome back, everybody. This is the Things Christians Want to Know podcast, and I am Nate Johnstone, and this is Paul Anderson.
1: Yes, it is, Hi, and I really want them to know these things about revival. See,
0: th- this is one of the things Christians want to know. They might not know that they want to know it, but trust me, folks, if, if you're listening from the future, you're digging back to find out, did people know it was coming? Mm-hmm. Did people know that the Third Great Awakening was coming? Did they see it? Did they foresee it? Did they know when it was starting to happen? And if this is you looking back from the future, how you doing? The answer is yes. <laughs> and we're going to talk about some of the historical data and connections that we have. If you look at U.S. history, about every 100 years, there's a major, major move of God, if you want to use that term, instead of revival. And... The most recent major major one was in an unassuming place
1: about as unassuming as you can imagine in the United States.
0: even even by today's 2019 standards, it was impressively humble
1: mm-hmm.
0: And but by the standards at the time, you would not expect God to this is not how most white American Christians. Would expect God to move, and I dare say many of them ignored it because of that.
1: Would you say? Sadly, so.
0: Yeah.
1: L.A. Times wrote a scathing denunciation of it, and I hope they apologized because I used to read the L.A. Times. I'm a California boy. Somebody asked me today, who, who, uh, no, I live in Minnesota. Obviously, they're at my house, and they said, "Are oh, you? You grew up in Minnesota?" I said, "I grew up in California, in Southern California." So. When I mention the street Bonnie Bray, which I will in a moment, again, I know where that street is, and Azusa Street is not too far. And so now I'm giving you a clue what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the Azusa Street revival. Sound okay to you, Nate? I love it. Okay. So a 34-year-old African-American led the charge, African-American. What happened in 1906 in a small church in Los Angeles opened the door for the Pentecostal Charismatic Movement. It now claims more than 500 million, 600 million uh, worldwide. William J. Seymour was a one-eyed son of freed slaves. He started preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit before he'd experienced it. The next week... He came to the church where he was invited, and it was locked. Not to be discouraged, he looked for other options, and he was invited to the home on Bonnie Brace Street. Well, that's next over from Burlington, which is the school I substituted at when Larry Christensen couldn't speak at CLBS. Hmm. It was where the Bible school was, where a Lutheran church uh, held the Bible school. So... Crowds gathered until the porch collapsed. Then they heard of a property maybe a few miles away at a much poorer section of town, 312 Azusa Street. Rent was $8 per month. (laughs) I wish. The first service was held on April 14th. Seymour had only two days before been filled with the Spirit. Crowds came as people entered into this new experience of speaking in tongues. By mid-May, remember they started in April, anywhere from 300 to 1,500 attempted to squeeze into this building all kinds from all places at all levels of education. Black. This
0: this was 1906. Nineteen oh six started. So just for reference.
1: So you have you're at the height of the Jim Crow era mm-hmm. of segregation, and it's 14 years before women are voting.
0: Mm-hmm. So it it seems, seems like another planet from now. <laughs> yeah. And yet I dare say if there if, if if the next massive move of God also comes in the African American community, I think there'll still be some trouble. Yeah. From, from people, which is sad.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but God chooses whom God chooses, and and we bend. He intentionally chooses things that will humble people. Sometimes,
1: well, he says he chooses the foolish things to confound the wise, and this was foolish. Yeah, but it included to people who think they're wise
0: aren't going to expect a bl- half-blind, yeah, son of slaves with a poor education compared to any of the you know theologians or preachers of the day um, to be the one, the, to be the John the Baptist guy, to be the Elijah guy. Yeah. Um, but that's exactly who God picked.
1: And he was young. He was 34.
0: Yeah, that's right. really young. And But God has a history of doing this. If you look through the Bible, Gideon shouldn't have been chosen. So many of the people just shouldn't have been. And God, I feel like God loves to do this. Mm-hmm. He loves to pick Bethlehem as the place. <laughs> I mean, like, this is, God loves the underdog. He loves to prove to us that it's not about what you think it's about. All the stuff you think it's about, that's not it. It's about me, you know? And I, I love that he's like that. It's just so great. Bethlehem.
1: What is it? What is it? Oh, thou Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Oh, thou thou our least among the tribes. Yeah. yeah. Good point. So we got blacks and whites and Native Americans and immigrants and Asians. So quite a uh, quite a mixture services were often almost around the clock singing happened with no musical instruments but vocal chords both in English and in the language of the spirit one Pentecostal paper wrote, quote, well-dressed preachers came to investigate. Soon their high looks were replaced with wonder, then conviction, and very often you will find them wallowing on the dirt floor asking God to forgive them. I love that. Hmm. Great. It was common for people who fell down to remain on the floor for long periods of time.
0: And so this is the similar to what we talked about the first week with the phenomenon that happened in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Where sometimes when the the manifest presence of God is so strong and tangible that it physically overwhelms. Mm -hmm. And we see, you know, instances of that in the in the New Testament, the Old Testament. And here it is happening there in a dirt floor church. In the poor part of town. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah, me too. Singing
1: was often followed by silence. Hmm. There was prayer for the sick, prayer for missionaries, prayer for those who made requests. No altar calls. That was interesting to me. No altar calls. Brother Seymour, who led this charge, he was in the front behind two shoeboxes often with his head in the top one. <laughs> Services consisted of teaching and testimonies. Remarkable healings took
0: place, like blind eyes restored. Praise the Lord. And most of that wasn't people going up for healing. It was people were just there. Yes. They didn't need altar calls for people to come to Jesus. People were there and they felt the presence of Jesus, and they said, oh, my God, I'm going to follow you. Yes. And people would show up, and they would start speaking in tongues. People would show up, and they would start getting healed. There were miraculous healings that happened just in the presence of God himself. And it's interesting that when guests would come
1: with a skeptical scorn, Seymour, he would simply say, pray, saints. And God would deal with the doubters— no offerings were taken. A box near the door was used for people who wanted to give. The core membership was 50 or 60, but thousands came to drink from this well. There was a publication called Apostolic Faith was started so that, that, that Seymour and a white woman put out thousands of, read testimonies of what was happening on Azusa Street. And by 1907, you think about this, they published 40,000 copies. This is a smaller mm-hmm. church with, without significant printing capabilities. Or any money. They and the dirt yeah. floor. <laughs> yeah. And they weren't taking offerings. Yeah. 40,000 copies. That's, that's pretty substantial.
0: Especially because word didn't travel then like it does now. hmm You know, so this thing went viral. It did. The first viral <laughs> yeah. story of all time. <laughs> and f- here, listen to this.
1: They began sending missionaries around the country and around the world in October of 1906. So that's just a few months. Yeah, not even a year. 38 were sent out to other countries. Within two years, the movement was alive
0: in 50 countries. And this is one of the things that marks the Azusa Street event, mm-hmm. the Azusa Street Move of God, whatever you want to call this thing that happened, and in my mind, it's why it eclipses both the first and second great awakenings. Mm-hmm. Although both of those things had lasting results, with, with with all of these great moves of God, what you see is a, a nation that is not doing well, mm-hmm. people who are greatly in need of God, people who are turned away from God, the kind of the kind of period of time when. A good Christian looks around and says, we might be done for. Yeah. They think about the good old days. They don't imagine the future could have hope or be anything better. So it's those kind of periods when you have your John Wesley, when you have your Charles Finney, and when you have your Seymour and your Azusa, Azusa Street. Dwight L. Moody. Yeah. And so... And in each of these type of events, God does incredible things, tons of people get saved, tons of prodigals come back, and then you have movements that start, or denominations, or whole giant things that start, and then you have the tertiary effects of gigantic social change. And so, like, the second Great Awakening leads directly into hardcore abolitionism that starts uh, the Civil War, Mm -hmm. as well as eventually... Um, women's suffrage. Like those are two things that come directly out of the second great awakening because people got really close to God and they got rid of a lot of their selfishness. And they looked around and said, why are we keeping human beings as slaves? That has to stop. Why are we not treating women the same as men? That has to stop because those are the kind of things that happen when enough of yourself gets burned away, spending time in the presence of God. And when these folks in California were doing this, similar things happened, but they they focused everything outward Mm -hmm. into missions. This was the first major missionary movement Mm -hmm. since the book of Acts. Missions have always happened, but this was the first, holy cow, everything's about to change. Because in those first 20 years, you had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in hundreds of countries <laughs> coming to God. Mm-hmm. And so the Azusa Street, it, it's unique among these movements of God, because almost all the energy of it went outward instead of inward. With, mm-hmm. with other places, God does something and then it, it builds that church or it builds that place, or it maybe builds a denomination, but with Azusa Street, it did a lot of other stuff too. Obviously, there's a lot of Pentecostal denominations that all derive their heritage from Azusa Street, but um, it's the missionary movement that really makes a difference. Because there's, there's more Pentecostals now than there are non-Pentecostal Christians worldwide. Hmm. Protestants. That's insane in a century. Hmm. Yeah, and it's primarily the two thirds world, the developing world. It's mm-hmm. the poor. See, it started among the poor, and so they went out to help people who are poorer than them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, at least we have a building with a dirt floor. There are a lot of people that don't have that, and so they went out to reach out. And so it, that's that's why I love <clears throat> the Azusa Street Revival and the Pentecostal movement. Even even if. You know, you're, you might not be a fan of certain Pentecostal theologies, like in terms of missions, there's n- there's been no one who's done more since mm-hmm. maybe the Apostle Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing. I like that, Nate. That's a really good And role. Seymour is such a such a fascinating leader because he was so humble, like mm-hmm. almost to a fault. Like he did very little.
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. You know, he didn't plan anything. He didn't write a whole lot. He published testimonies. He didn't put a lot of theology out there. He didn't do a lot of anything. Mm -hmm. All he did was commission people to go out and keep doing stuff. And it changed the world. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's when I studied him, it was humbling to me. Mm -hmm. And And a reminder that it's not about being clever. It's not about doing the right thing. It's not about having all the best leadership training and surrounding yourself with the most Talented staff you can find. It's just about following the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not surround himself with the most talented staff he could find. <laughs> he surrounded word. himself with a bunch of uneducated, constantly putting their foot in their mouth mm-hmm. people. <laughs> uh, people who, in those day and days in that society, they were not the religious nice guys. They were the the guys you find in the bar after church. You know? <laughs> that's true. And those are the ones Jesus picked, and he did a pretty decent job, I'd say. Wouldn't yep. you say Jesus did an alright job? So I there's there's a, there's lessons here, folks. <laughs> and the lesson not to judge about Azusa Street. Because mm. I've read a lot of Oh that's things sad. things published by seminaries. Oh things published by oh. other denominations. Oh. Things in newspapers in New York. About the Negro, the Negro hyper spirituality.
1: Mm. And that's,
0: that's what they called Pentecostalism for like 20 years. It was a Negro thing. Mm. And by that, of course, it was a, they meant that as a very disparaging term. Sure. Not as an ethnographic term. And so it's, it's just so fascinating. And it is, there's so parallel to the early church. The early church, first, it was a Jew, a Jewish movement hmm. Right. And then to the Romans, it was a women's movement. The um, the emperor wanted to know what was up with this Christian thing. And so they research it and the guy came back and he said, don't worry about it. It's a women's movement. It, it'll phase faz- it'll fizzle out. They all do. Because when he looked at Christianity, he said there, he saw that there were all these women who had positions of authority and they had they, they had ownership in what was happening. And that was that was unheard of back then.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so he's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's not going to last. Crazy. You know, and so that God loves to do that. He He does. He loves that.
1: So Seymour didn't live a long life. No, sadly. So uh, he died of a heart attack in 1922. Hmm. And uh, then his wife, Jenny, kept the church going until 1931 when they
0: lost the building. So. But their legacy was not their church. No, it wasn't. And you're right. Their yeah. legacy was the 890,000 churches yeah. that have popped up around the world. Yeah. It's so interesting. I can't wait till I'm in heaven and I see an angel doing a great presentation about how human history actually went. <laughs> And I'd love to see all the lines drawn between Mm -hmm. different things, like between Azusa Street and me, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, because I know one of those lines goes through the Jesus people movement, which we're going to talk about maybe next week or the week after.
1: Do we have time to talk today about the charismatic movement? Because that's related
0: uh, uh, to the. We could or, or we could just pause early and, and do that next week okay. as a separate thing.
1: I, that sounds
0: okay to me. Is there anything else you wanted to say about Azusa Street as a California boy?
1: Uh, I'd like to pray. We, we, uh, I'd like to pray for our listeners because revival can do strange things to people. Some people just reject it because it's there's so much uh, that's reported that can be screwy. And that can make people think, I don't want any part of any revival. And there are even some mighty moves of God that have some elements in them, like the Toronto, that people say, I don't want to have anything to do with it. But revival is straight out of the scriptures, and we'll be talking about that either next time or at the time after that. So God shakes things up and, and brings a renewal, a revival, an awakening whatever term we want to use, and we want to identify with that. We want to be a part of it. We want to pray for it. So, Father, I pray for those who are hearing these podcasts as we talk about revival. I pray that you would encourage them to believe for a mighty move of your Holy Spirit in our day, in our land, in other lands, in the land of our birth, if this isn't the land, around the world, in Canada, and Mexico, and Asia, in Europe, in Eastern Europe, in South America. We pray, God, that you would be moving in your world in our day. We say, along with uh, the psalmist, do it in our day, in our day. Remember <laughs> us, O oh Lord. Restore us again. Revive us again.
0: Amen. Amen. And what this story also reminds me of every time, Paul, is that it it doesn't matter who you are or who you think you are. What matters is, are you willing Mm -hmm. to be used? It's not about your education, your experience, your pedigree, your money, where you were born, what your family name is. You you name all the things that matter to us people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and none of those things matter to God. God is looking for one thing, willingness Mm -hmm. to say, I'll, I'll serve you. I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. And then he can partner with you and he can change a whole town. He can change a whole school. He can change a whole country. I mean, Seymour is a pastor of a church of 60 people. Yeah. You, this was not a mega church pastor. Oh no. This was not the greatest orator of his day like Whitfield was. This, this this is I'm not saying he wasn't a good speaker. I'm just saying he was he was as humble as you get, folks. And he's the one God chose. And so it doesn't matter who you are. I I literally pastor a church of 60 people. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. So for me this is it's so encouraging these stories to be like, "Hey, this is the kind of person that God will use if they are willing mm-hmm. and if they're going for it he was young
1: he was black he only had one eye he didn't have much of an education and he wasn't even full of the holy spirit when he began to p- teach about it right he just knew he that just said this, said, this was is in the change. bible
0: let's yeah. let's look at this stuff yes seems yes. like a good thing
1: yeah so, so there must have been a boldness in him. Well, and a
0: hunger for God, you know, hunger.
1: And when that door shut, when that door was locked, he could have said, oh, my, yep. I guess I can't do this. He looked for another place until he found, and then they then they collapsed. He could have said, oh, I guess that's done. No, then he found the third time around was Azusa Street. Hmm, and it's interesting that just two days before, that April 14th beginning, God filled him, and so he was really ready on Azusa, hmm. and he preached, and that they began to come.
0: Amazing. It is amazing. I love this story. And people got touched if they humbled themselves to come to the poor part of town mm-hmm. and the church with the dirt floor amongst mm-hmm. all the black people. Yeah. Which— Required humility for a lot of these folks because they just didn't you you didn't associate with those. No, it was segregation time. Oh, absolutely! Not not only did you not associate with them, you couldn't go to a restaurant with them. You couldn't invite Pastor Seymour out to dinner with you afterwards
1: Mm -hmm.
0: if you were a white person. I mean, that's the kind of era where it's a whole other world. Yeah, than what we have today. Now that we don't, still have a long ways to go. We do, but you had to be willing to humble yourself to. To get touched by by that move, and I think and that sounds like God. There's it sounds like God, and there's a truth to that about every move of God. I think yes, that yes. God will do something, um, God will allow something to happen that it just requires humility. And I'd like to share in our next one about what
1: happened, approximately a half a century later, yeah. when people who said no started saying yes mm. to the work of the Holy Spirit which we call the charismatic movement or the charismatic renewal uh, I'd like to share some stories about that and then what happened
0: uh, A following generation that generation later yeah. yeah
1: the Jesus the Jesus people movement because I think stories can encourage people they encourage me to believe for revival yeah
0: well and this is our history even if you're not of the charismatic persuasion, the Azusa street movement is part of your history as Mm -hmm. an American Christian. Mm -hmm. Well, these days just as a Christian on earth. So this is part of our history. And I think it's important to, to know our history, to remember that there have been many days before 2019, where the world seemed dark. There have been many times where it seemed like it was going downhill, not uphill. There have been many, many, many times and each time God has turned it around. Yep. If people are willing to pray, and to humble themselves. It's I, happened time and time and time again. And it'll happen this time too. I gave a closing prayer and we've only talked for about six, seven minutes after. <laughs> it wasn't a closing prayer. It was a <laughs> it was towards <laughs> the end prayer. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited to get back and talk about this next week. Okay. Stay tuned. That is it for this episode of Things Christians Want to Know. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to questions at tcwkcast.com. We publish every Thursday, so tell your friends and please rate us on iTunes. That's really helpful for us. Additional information, including links to Nate's blog, Paul's blog, etc., can be found on tcwkcast.com. God bless.